Hello and welcome to Cloud Spotting, episode three, I think now. Um, yeah. <laughs> Alex Galbraith here again, and I'm here with my colleague and co-host Sai Iyer. So, Sai, what have you been up to this month? Nothing massive, Alex. Uh, just coming back from the Easter break slump, I would say. So, <laughs> change of time hasn't helped. And yeah, just getting back into the game. Yeah, you had a wee cheeky holiday as well, didn't you? Exactly. Yeah, all right for some. Some of us were slaving away. Oh, has to be done. (laughs) Has to be done. We should give ourselves names. Uh, I'm going to call you Alex Nerf Herder Galbraith from Norwich. <laughs> I'm going to have to come up with something better than that by yeah, the end of the exactly, show, I think. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, what, have you, what else has, uh, has been going on in your world, Si? I think we were at Cloud Expo just a few weeks ago. That was quite we, interesting. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all the talk about containers and Kubernetes really... Um, Got me interested. Yeah. Um, so we've got a we've got a special guest on today. Uh, one of our colleagues, Simon Roberts. Uh, Simon, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Simon Roberts, uh, lead solutions architect here at uh, Rackspace. For the last uh, six years, worked my way through. Um, what's what's my month been? The month's been kind of interesting, really, because it's been end of month and end of quarter. So it's a lot of sales focus, a lot of interesting things going on. Always end of quarter madness. Indeed, oh, yeah. Indeed. <laughs> so it's good. So small, you know, SMB space, mid-market space, enterprise space, all very busy. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks for that, Simon. So, guys, what are we here today? We're here to talk about encryption. And I'm going to say it three times. Encryption, encryption, encryption. It's the key <laughs> thing. Uh, and the like Kirsty and Phil. Although for our, for our non-British uh, listeners, that probably doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Google it. Google it. Exactly. <laughs> that works. Um, so, the biggest question that we're going to talk about today, and we're going to start off with that, is... Is at-rest encryption good enough? We talked about, I know we always have this discussion with our sort of technologies to say, where do we encrypt? What do we encrypt? How do we encrypt? And well, we always keep hearing the word at-rest encryption. And and Simon, you must have heard it as well, millions of times. Many, many times. So, and traditionally, we always thought at-rest encryption is for colo environments, but it doesn't seem to be the case, is it? What do you think? Encryption at rest is often a checkbox. People think that they can just tick that box, encrypt to their data at rest, and, and they're safe. Safe from what? Yeah. Mm. Um, so encryption at rest means that where your data is stored within your storage environment is encrypted. So the obvious thing is that's the spinning disk. So that's great in a colo environment where you're perhaps in an unprotected space where you've got other people maybe wandering past your cages or your racks who could notionally drop in, pull the disk out and be able to read that data. Or could they? Or attempt to? Mm-hmm. Possibly. 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 <laughs> but well. in, but in, a, in a larger environment, in a solution, well, as soon as the data leaves that storage environment, it's in the clear. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, there, there must be some impact to it for applications like SaaS kind of applications, where you've got now potentially multiple front ends, for, for lack of a better term, um, talking to the same storage. And how does then, then at-rest encryption kind of plays a bigger game? Because you've got potentially maybe multiple customers. It begs, begs the question, though, I think, to Simon's point, um, What's the likelihood, or where where is that application being based? So let's say you've got a SaaS application, you have a yep. broad spectrum of you know multi-tenant customers, that kind of thing, um, and they're all sitting on one centralized storage. Let's say a storage array, a very common model. Yeah. Um, 
we're talking the likelihood of, uh, you know, what, what's data encryption at rest protecting? The likelihood of an employee of that organization somehow physically removing the disks from an array, yep. first of all, getting those disks out of that secure data center to which the majority of hosters are usually ISO accredited and have a lot of security procedures in place True. to stop that happening. But then also being able to somehow rebuild the data that they've just pulled exactly. out of an enterprise. Yes, because array. you'd have to assume that there is some sort of raid striping going on, That's whether it. it's 10, 5, or 6. Um, then you would have to pull out the right ones and be able to rebuild it. It's, it, yeah, quite a large challenge. Where it does come into, into play would be if that drive failed. Got it. So you've still got the magnetic media. You've still got the ones and noughts on that magnetic media. You could potentially reconstruct a drive and mm. be able to spin that out. So in that particular instance, that uh, having encryption arrest would, would make sense. To counter that, many hosting companies and ourselves included offer a shredding process. Mm. So right. whether that's a shredding process that is electronic for those drives that are still alive or a physical shredding process where it literally is just destroyed. I've seen those machines. Yeah. They're really cool. Ima- <laughs> imagine this, guys. you got a paper shredder. No, but just not paper. You actually put hard drives in it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's heartbreaking, though, because <laughs> it's all that electronics and stuff. There has to be a better way. It has to be. It looks impressive. Sandpaper. <laughs> now, that's good. I, th- I think it, it's a valid point you bring up, Simon, and it it's always begs the question. Saying It always comes down to the question of saying, if at-rest encryption is one component, what should we actually encrypt? What is really encryption? What's the crown jewels exactly. that you're actually protecting? Exactly. Are you protecting the data? Are you protecting the link? Are you protecting the application? Are you protecting the users connecting to the application? It, it sort of kicks off a whole new set of questions saying, well, hang on. If you're not talking about just storage, if you're not talking about just data, are we then talking about databases? Are we then talking about applications? So let's talk about databases for a second. We, we always talk about our data sort of accessed through databases, majority of the cases, apart from file servers and things like that. What is really required from a database encryption point of view? Uh, and if you say if the most common databases we come across, I mean, you must have heard of MS SQL and MySQL and Oracle, etc. In your opinion, Simon, where does the encryption from databases sort of sit in the whole picture of encryption? Is it a key component, would you say? Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a key component. If you take the, the, the stack from top to bottom, web, app, DB, uh, you want to be able to provide a, a level of assurance. And, and to sort of rewind slightly your, your question about what is encryption, think of it as a, a part of your security plan mm-hmm. so that you need to take it into account as being multi-layered, multi-tiered, and there are many elements to it such that you can protect your entire application stack, not just an individual piece. Around the databases, well, what we're trying to protect ourselves against is somebody pulling the database file out of the solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so somebody coming in from the side. Got it. Whereas... Actually, the most likely thing is somebody coming in through the front if you've left the door open. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, now, Microsoft SQL, there's there's a couple of things that you could do. Um, Microsoft gives away a couple of technologies that allow you to encrypt. Yep, I said Microsoft gives stuff away. <laughs> uh, 
Don't hear that very often. Um, I'm going to have to check the facts on this one. Yeah, after this you're going to have to do that, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. So you could do column encryption inside uh, most of the recent releases of, of Microsoft SQL Server, uh, and that will allow you to encrypt that particular column of data. So that would be like a field specifically, if, if you know, for more layman's terms, it would be in an address or, a, or whatever. You could say, right, I want to encrypt just the date of birth, but I don't need to worry about the rest of it. That's yes, it. indeed. Or salary. That's, that's another one that, right. that, that yep. people want to, to protect. You need to be careful because you can do things via inference and, and implied data will allow you to, to perhaps work out some of what's going on. The downside is all that work's being done inside the database. Mm-hmm. Right. And the database is a piece of software. That means we have to rely on the processor to do that encryption piece for us. And that comes with a penalty. Sometimes that penalty can be as high as 20 to 30%. Wow. wow. So if your database is busy, you've made it busier. If it's not too busy, then potentially that's a, that's a kind of a, an entry yeah. way to get into, into the encryption yeah. field. Mm-hmm. And if your database is really busy, you've killed it. <laughs> well, yes. So... Recently, from uh, from Microsoft, they've uh, allowed you to use the whole stack from top to bottom. So right. from the web front end right the way through to the database using uh, .NET and uh, certification, that will allow you to encrypt your stream from the front right the way down to the database so that all the data with that is protected. Perfect. Again, that's coming at uh, a, a tiny bit of uh, uh, processor overhead, but not that bad. The thing to consider is, though, it ties you into a specific stack. Mm -hmm. You've got to be on the latest version of SQL Server. You've got to be using .NET. You've got to be using specific versions. You've got to be able to write your app. Your app, yeah. You've got to own it. So if you're using something, uh, uh, an off-the-shelf package, that maybe isn't the way to go. So if, if you can't have access to the code, then transparent data encryption, TDE, is the only way forward. That attracts a cost. That's a good point. Transparent yeah. data encryption actually makes a lot of sense in that places. And then you're on to, but the key thing there is enterprise licensing is a minimum requirement for that. That's right. So that's when we talk about, we have a gamut, the other thing you mentioned at the start, we, we have a gamut of customers that we work with from SMB up to enterprises, and, and a lot of enterprises wouldn't blink an eye at using enterprise licensing for a database, but for a small business, that can be quite impactful from, a, from an IT budget perspective. Significantly. True. The upside is, though, uh, uh, the transparent piece means you don't need to rewrite your code. You mm-hmm. don't need to worry about. So if you've got an off-the-shelf package, potentially you can use that as a way forward. So is transparent data encryption, or a TDE, let's call it, is that akin to at-rest encryption in storage? Or is that slightly different? I suppose you could look at it as, as that particular way, yes. So if you don't have access to the storage ent- entity, for example, if you're stored in someone else's or you're sharing storage, you could potentially do your at-rest encryption from your databases, yep. which actually... Yes, yeah. and, the, and the key thing there is where, where is a more likely attack going to come from? So we already talked about this fictional employee who's you know pulling True. disks out of arrays, pretty unlikely in the you know most scenarios. Um, but what's much more likely is an attacker who compromises the environment, gets in and then is looking to pull files out and to, to Simon's point, you know, pulling out an entire database file. Well, if that entire database file is encrypted and they don't have access to the decryption keys, then that database file is all but useless to them. So the, it is it is like the walk away, <laughs> the, the walk away file 
yeah. uh, protection really isn't it yeah, yeah that's pretty good that's pretty good and is what in, in your experience guys is tde kind of something that you would see standard across multiple database infrastructures as in would you see it in oracle or mysql would you come across that so mysql the the encryption capability for that is built into the enterprise version which is right. something you purchase from oracle as opposed to the mysql or mariadb or, or a persona where uh, there's an open source version there are plugins available for the open source versions that give you that functionality as well you've got to then wonder though is it production ready right is, is it something that i'd want to support my production workload from mm-hmm. right so so from an encryption perspective database encryption perspective you got to have some level of encryption at that level yes. that layer and and sort of we we briefly talked about it i know you mentioned it simon that the fact that dotnet includes encryption into the database so from code to to data um would you call that in transit essentially so as the data is in motion it is encrypted yep so it relies on you having certificates so okay. it, it throws up a few uh wrinkles around managing your certificates and, and understanding what certificate is used for what stream um but yes from yeah. the from the point of web server down and mm. how does this all play in with things like clustering because obviously in product, most production environments i'd say 90% of them you wouldn't have a single database server what are you talking uh, about well yeah well <laughs> we could try we could try but yeah do you i don't i mean we need to sort of look more into this but i'm i'm guessing that always on encryption doesn't really always on availability sorry doesn't really come into play when you talk about tde and things like that tde is transparent so it doesn't really care whether you're clustering whether you're replicating yeah. it's just encrypted at disk but i guess as a focus point it's important to look at that from a end front end aspect as well mm-hmm. so if your if your application is talking to a cluster uh, make sure that you're encrypting all communications so all nodes in the cluster mm-hmm. as opposed to just the production node mm-hmm. so that's something that we need to take into consideration I think that's that takes us. So Simon's mentioned uh, key key management there, and that's Ooh, a subject yeah. I'd like to talk about more in a minute. But just before we get to that, I think uh, so. We've talked about databases, and that's obviously that's the crown jewels. That's actually in most environments. That's what most people care about protecting. Um, and I think we've we've clearly identified there's a challenge there, though. That um, well, we can we can protect that database file, but um, if my web application is compromised. So let's say somebody comes in through the front door oh, yeah. um, and they decide to, I don't know, send a SQL injection attack or whatever, then actually having the database file encrypted at the back end helps. Doesn't, yeah. uh, well, it, well it, it, sorry, it doesn't yeah, sorry, help. Yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah because help. we then can't, uh, you know, we're not, we're not stopping somebody pulling a file out the door. We're True. actually stopping, True. trying to stop somebody from sending a request, which actually looks genuine and actually pulls that data. So there must be ways to start protecting against that. What, what can we do to, to defend against say a SQL injection, injection attack? So we could throw something like uh, a web application firewall whether that's an appliance or a service that you're buying out in the cloud mm-hmm. as a way of trying to inspect the traffic to see what is going on. Mm-hmm. There needs to be an element of learning going on there. It's not something you can throw straight in. Uh, it does allow you to, to protect yourself against that particular mm-hmm. uh, vulnerability. Yeah, a lot of those web application firewalls, they'll actually sit and look at your traffic for a good couple of weeks before you'd even enable any form of blocking, wouldn't they? Because they need to understand heuristically 
what's what does normal look like yeah. and then when it starts to see weird and wonderful queries coming in in, in uh, connection strings yeah um then it, it, you know it can say well this doesn't look quite like normal traffic to me yeah yeah sounds like something that an intrusion detection system would do for normal traffic but this is more focused on web, web application sql yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, that makes sense and to that point then so we've now we've moved into looking at things from a from the front end perspective well what about where we are actually citing these applications so yeah. um i hear sometimes people say to me right so we're going to go and put our application in the cloud because <laughs> the cloud's all encrypted and all that in it if you can't see it it's encrypted <laughs> <laughs> it's some yeah the cloud is just somebody else's encrypted computer <laughs> i think is the, is the new meme isn't it so i mean what what about when we move out to the cloud what do we need to start considering around that is the cloud is is it the panacea does it is it the silver bullet <laughs> certainly all of the clouds have that ability to encrypt their data at rest which we've already discussed mm-hmm. most of the clouds also have an ability to encrypt traffic between layers and between access points Mm -hmm. so you're protecting yourself that way as well what you'd need to consider if you wanted to improve that is who owns the keys Mm. ah yes so can i can i introduce my own key or do i need to use the key that's provided Mm -hmm. so that's interesting so there's always been a question at least when i talk to my customers about where do they trust their keys hey do you trust the cloud provider's keys do you trust a third-party keys or do you trust your own keys and in most of the cases the answer is either um i don't know yeah have you guys come across this well it depends what their requirement is isn't it because a lot of a lot of organizations um i think simon referenced it right at the start checkbox for encryption you know we have a compliance requirement we want to be able to say if an auditor comes around, I've encrypted my data. So, um, from that perspective, you know, cloud is great because most cloud services have that level of checkbox encryption in most built-in services, and you don't have to worry about managing those keys yourself. The cloud provider does it for you, right? Um, which is really useful. But then you go to the kind of next phase of of should we call it paranoia? That's maybe <laughs> well, not the right word. I suppose some key right. is better than no key at all. So yep. doing some level of encryption with a key is good. Yep. To your point, to take it further, then absolutely, being, having the ability to introduce your own keys where you can define the length and strength of those particular keys mm-hmm. adds another layer to that top to bottom journey that we're considering. Yeah. It's like the, old, the, the age old adage from Security World, defense and depth. We're yes. effectively talking about defense in encryption or you know, depth yeah. in encryption. As part of that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. S- so and and in those clouds, so we can start to utilize our own keys, but maybe have those managed by the cloud providers. We can bring our own keys, or uh, with some of them, we can actually get a physical appliance, can't we? Can you just oh, talk yeah. us through what what kind of options we got there? And it sounds back to front, really, because a physical appliance in cloud, like an HSM, yeah, which which just sounds completely bonkers to me. I've gone to my cloud provider, I'm buying all this virtual stuff, but actually they're going to give me this physical box that does something. So one of the, the benefits of having a physical box is that it's looking for interference. It's looking for somebody trying to break into that box, mm-hmm. to tamper with it, to pull the card out, to maybe find out what the keys are, fiddle with cables. And at that point, it realizes something's going on and will disconnect. Mm-hmm. flush the keys out and hopefully you're in a, you're in a safe position from that point forward and there will be notifications going around the other benefits with with physical 
key servers is also being able to push keys to other locations, to other applications, mm -hmm. gives you a central point of management. Obviously, you can do that with some, some of the virtual versions as well. Mm -hmm. But having that physical piece also helps. It Absolutely. sounds like a spy movie almost, doesn't it? You know, know. When, the guy, when the guy presses the big red button and everything explodes so that he's got no data left. Yeah, they, basically many, what they ma do. many of them do have buttons <laughs> yeah. that you can press. Don't I'm worry, guys. Not by accident. Yeah, don't worry, guys. Nothing explodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's a good point, actually, that having the physical appliance for key management actually helps you expand out of the cloud. So potentially for hybrid solutions or, mm -hmm. or purely dedicated solutions, you've got to have some kind of key management. Yeah. yeah. And those devices can be easily reused or reprovisioned mm -hmm. as a physical. Device. And replicated too. So True. that's that's quite an interesting one. We, we work with uh, one vendor who actually provides um, an HA pair of boxes which you can locate in two different data centers, for example. Because, I mean... You know, if we if we take the exploding box solution uh, or a scenario <laughs> as an example, if that box goes and that's got all my keys on it and that's the only one I have, then I I've effectively done the equivalent of taking all my data and throwing it in a bin and taking all my backups and throwing them in a bin if I'm recruiting yeah. those backups. Um, so having a highly available uh, pair of those and actually spreading them across multiple physical locations becomes even more critical, doesn't it? Because Absolutely. loss of that one component can mean loss of your entire environment. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's the old adage, as I said, a key. If you don't have the key, you don't get in the door. Yeah. You're not getting anything. <laughs> you can't I, even break the window. No, the ideal practice would be you have an, an HA pair in one data center with a third node mm -hmm. in your secondary data center. Yeah. yeah. And in this case, that could be cloud-based, because I think even the cloud-provided ones allow you to replicate to non-cloud environments as well, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. So an example, AWS, for example, you can put, they're, they're, I think they co-load them into an Equinix data center location, which is then accessible for replication to you know, third-party locations, etc. Yeah. Um, and actually, something I brought up there just in passing, it'd be interesting to dig into a bit further. So let's say um, I've done all the great things, right? So I've encrypted, I've got a web application firewall stopping the script kiddies from sending SQL injections. Um, I'm, say, encrypting my all my traffic from my web application uh, front end through to the back end databases themselves. And the databases themselves are all encrypted. Um, what happens when I back up my data? So how do I make sure that, um, you know, we're, we're moving away from the era of tape because we, we put everything into S3 buckets, for example, or into, uh, you know, other locations. So what do I do to make sure that um, somebody can't walk away with that data if they just get a copy of the backup? Many of the backup clients allow you to do encryption from the client itself. Mm -hmm. If you've already got a file that is encrypted, then that will just pass straight through. If you need to encrypt something, it needs to go find a key manager. Mm -hmm. So whether that's the controller for that particular application or whether it's a centralized key manager we've spoken about, pass it the key, do the encryption, and then pass encrypted packets across to the central server and the file that then gets stored is encrypted. Mm -hmm. So the cool. key thing is there, you have to make sure that you're backing up the encrypted versions of those files or using a piece of software that is encrypting it on the fly. What you don't want to do is have something that pulls the data, say, from the front end, which is then unencrypted, yes, and then drops it somewhere. Yeah. And then somebody, for example, your S3 bucket that we mentioned as an example. Uh -huh. There's another prime example of, you know, we can do that data at rest encryption. We can go into our S3 checkbox, and I can tick the box that says, please encrypt all this by default. 
what happens if I then leave the bucket open to the world? Yeah, don't make it public. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are now search engines, aren't there? The, yeah. the, you know, yeah. in, the, in the kind of dark web, kind of do- or darker corners of the web, should we call it, where yeah. um, they actually are searching for S3 buckets with open permissions on them. So, you know, that, that's an example, but equally it could be a case of, you know, somebody moving tapes because offsite backup in a lot of organizations is somebody with their car um, you know, one of our colleagues recently had uh, the back window of their car broken into. Just, you know, this is what somebody who works in, a, in another department, nothing to do with our data centers. But, um, you know, an opportunistic thief could end up with a bunch of t- tapes, tapes under their exactly. arm. Um, so making sure that that data is encrypted is obviously pretty critical. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, cool. So we, we talked a lot about encryption today. We talked about encrypted backups. We talked about encrypted databases. One thing we have probably haven't touched base on is some data that's not sitting in in databases. So mm-hmm. we, I, I know I briefly mentioned file servers in the on the fly. How do you encrypt those things? I mean, I've heard of devices that you put in the network that can encrypt stuff, and but how does that affect access control lists? Simon, do you have any thoughts? So hardware security devices, which you kind of get caught up with the key managers as well. So. I'm thinking perhaps something like a, a, a Volmetric right. type appliance has this uh, concept of being able to inject a, a small driver within the operating system, which as the data flows backwards and forwards through the system is encrypting that data. Got it. So that would allow you to put it into something that doesn't necessarily support encryption by default or, or support encryption in, in an easy fashion. It would allow you to add going to our MySQL conversation, a capability of of encrypting all the data that runs through a a MySQL server. Mm -hmm. The other good thing that uh, these kind of devices introduce is uh, an access control list. So where there we can set it up such that the ID that's being used to access the application database has the right permissions but maybe the super user or the administrator doesn't, has right. the ability to see the file, mm-hmm. so it can check dates and sizes and so on, and it can use an application to back it up. But if they attempted to open it, all they would see is the encrypted file. So it's a way of adding another layer of, of uh, protection to what you do. It also means that in that event where somebody's managed to bust out of your web tier or your application tier and is trying to find a way down to the database tier, some sort of back door they get in, mm-hmm. once they've landed in there, unless they're the right user, all they're going to see is a file that's encrypted. There's an interesting point there as well, which is um, if you're looking at, say, at that file server level, right, and you mentioned earlier on about what is the performance overhead of adding encryption. There is always oh, yeah. a level of performance overhead. You know, it's, in some cases with some products, it's very small, you know, one, two, three, four, five percent. Other cases, it can be much more. Um, but then you, it begs the question, well, what is it that I really care about encrypting? Because do I really want to encrypt all of the default operating system files that are in every version of Windows or in every version of Ubuntu or whatever? But, you know, where's the value in that? Um, versus the value in, say, encrypting a specific folder structure. So it may be that actually I only want to, you know, utilize my clock cycles in my machine to be doing encryption against, like, a, a, a you know, my file server's folders yep. or a particular drive on that file mm-hmm. server. Um, it does beg the question, well, what if somebody accidentally puts a you know, file in the wrong place? You yep. know, there's a, it adds a small element of risk, but 
you know, with all of these things, it's it's kind of risk versus reward and balancing up that yeah. as, a, as an architectural decision, isn't it? I guess, yeah, absolutely. And as a concept, I think we're more heading towards non-human control, essentially. End of the day, if you if you if you configure the application to do it correctly and you give the application rights to the data. You, you're pretty much confident it is going to put it in the right location yeah. and it is going to be encrypted. <laughs> it's only, the problem comes when a human comes in and moves the file. Damn humans. Damn humans. <laughs> I think that's a good point. Yeah, thanks for that, Simon. I think it's really good. Uh, and these devices probably help a lot in, in other things. Like, for example, we talked about uh, applications that are not up-to-date, applications that are not sort of fully, fully compatible with in-transit encryption uh, and uh, we talked about outdated apps and things like that. Um, these boxes like Vometric, et cetera, can come in really handy covering security aspects for those kind of applications. Mm. Legacy applications which were never designed to have that kind of... Because that, that, there is a you know a massive challenge a lot of companies are going to face these days with things like GDPR. You know, you're retrofitting encryption into existing environments that may or may not have had that design from day one. True. Um, True. Speaking of, uh, as well, speaking of um, damn humans, <laughs> we, we thought we'll move on to the news now. There's been a really interesting story in the news in the last week. So um, do you want to, well, last couple of weeks it's last been buzzing weeks, around. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to just run through that with the site and, uh, and and we'll see how it kind of relates to what we've been talking about? Yeah, I think, I think we all pretty much know what the news is about. It's more about millions of data being accessed, millions of people's data being accessed and used. And uh, we hear the name... Facebook come into play. We hear the name uh, Cambridge Analytica coming mm-hmm. into play. I think, I think it's interesting to think about it, not from a, a controversial perspective or name perspective, but just about the concept of how does one get access to that much amount of data? When when you think about it, when you put stuff in the cloud, and Alex, you mentioned about the tick boxes or encryption, and if it's that simple to encrypt data in the cloud, mm-hmm. how does one still get access to it? Begs to answer the question. Well, I mean, it goes back to what we've said around we can check the box we can encrypt the data and the back door is all completely you know locked sealed we've got you know security all over our <laughs> premises making sure that there's you know there's no way you know i mean virtually and physically, and physically there's no way the yeah. data can be extracted but if you're giving people access to that data through a normal application method effectively all of this all of this lovely encryption is almost <laughs> i wouldn't say meaningless but you have a, a large hole there. And and we talk in technology terms or in IT terms around PPT, so people, process, and technology. And throwing technology at an encryption problem or a, a protection of data problem is is yeah. relatively easy. You know, the T in PPT is always the easy bit. It's the P and the P. They're the ones that cause the problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a triple P. It's a triple P. It's problem, problem, problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's Kirsty and Phil again. Um, so I think where we're seeing, you know, this particular news story is really highlighting that, you know, I'm sure Facebook have got some of the best encryption, you know, on in the world on the back end. Almost certainly they they will be doing encryption at rest, encryption in flight. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yet they shared their data with somebody who puts it somewhere that's not encrypted. There you mm-hmm. go. So yeah. I think I think it's very important. That's a that's an amazing point to say. So you gotta focus on things that access the applications even outside of your control. So mm. APIs, whoa, they ring a bell. Whenever I talk to my customers about APIs, I always ask the question saying are you in control of that API gateway? Are you in mm-hmm. control of that API? Because that's potentially an access in. 
Yep. And just in this case, we all know Facebook is encrypted. We know that the link is secure. We use HTTPS to access yep. Facebook. But hey, one little API in mm-hmm. and access is gone. And there's a, there's another really interesting point you raised there, which is, um, and this is something that I've uh, certainly had discussions with, where we have this gamut of customers that I mentioned and at all different scales. Um, who would you rather attack if you are an attacker? Would you rather go after the biggest organizations in the world with the biggest um, security budget? Or would you rather go after a small to medium-sized organization who works very closely with them? I mean, we saw an attack um, a number of months ago, I think it was last year, where a load of films were um, released on the internet. And the way that they'd done that was, I think it was Sony films, the way they'd done that wasn't through going attacking Sony and stealing Sony's data, uh, ironic really is what happened the year before that, but um, it was through going to one of their... Uh, partners who they worked with who was doing I think sound editing or something along those lines and actually getting it from there because the smaller organizations didn't have that investment in protecting that um, you know protecting that data and that information and so actually often oftentimes it's more risky you know as you start to open up where that data is going to you need to almost make sure that the people that you're working with are following the same stringent requirements that you are otherwise everything you do may ultimately be, you know, prove useless because it'll just get pinched from somewhere else. Yep, absolutely. So it's not just yourself. You got to think about everything that you connect into and protect everywhere. And that, that comes back to the question saying, again, where where do you check? Where do you encrypt? Egress, ingress, egress? That's a good point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, logistically, uh, log- logically, think about everywhere the data comes in, everywhere the data sits. It needs some kind of security, some kind of encryption there. I'd say, I take this point and say thank you, everybody. And uh, this was about encryption. Drop us a note if you want to know more. Drop us a note if you want to sort of ask any questions, if you want us to talk more about it. We're more than happy to respond back. Drop us an email. Um, and yeah, give us give us a review on, on iTunes or Stitcher. And guys, if you're listening, subscribe. It's great. We've got a lot more episodes coming. We've got something coming. I think we're talking about uh, multi-cloud strategies, Alex. That's right. It should be a really interesting episode. Yeah. Um, so it's it's going to be uh, a bit of Google, a bit of AWS, and a bit of Microsoft, and you know how, how they interact and so forth. So it should be a really interesting episode. Excellent. And yeah, keep keep listening to get more episodes like that. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Look look at our website. Look at our uh, Stitcher account for more in- information. Uh, yeah, and give us a feedback. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.